Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. Indian Wells has been run and won, and while there's been a change at the helm of the men's rankings, the women saw the same final as the Australian Open with a different result this time with Alina Rabakina getting yet another big title in her, well, it's becoming a very, very good career and she's playing some very good tennis and we'll discuss all of that and more as well as Carlos Alcaraz and what he's been able to do and get himself back to world number one here on Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you and joining me as he always does is Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you, mate? Going well, thanks, Val. I'm feeling sunny. What a great Indian Wells it was. And it was. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're not quite finished yet because, of course, we've got Miami on the horizon and well, just as well that it's uh, uh, we're in the midst of the sunshine double because it was uh, very, very dark this morning where we are in Melbourne. Yeah, there was a big thunderstorm. It was absolutely bizarre. But um, look, there's no darkness from the uh, – we'll, we'll start with this from the side of the court of Carlos Alcaraz. The way that he is playing, it's simply – and oh. th- look, Joel, there is no other word for it. Orgasmic. It is orgasmic. <laughs> um, yeah, the way he's – and, and, the way he's playing, the amount of times my jaw dropped and continuously drops watching this 19-year-old play tennis rivals that of Federer and what Roger was able to do on a court. And he just pulls his finesse, yet brute power, go hand-in-hand hand so well, and it's mesmerizing. He was the first player since Rafa in 2007 to win six matches at Indian Wells without dropping a set the first to do it overall since Roger in 2017. But he's the youngest player ever to get to the career Sunshine Double where he won Miami last year and won Indian Wells this year. Um, And the fact that he's just doing all of this at 19 years old, wiping the court with everybody that he sees, it's, it's unbelievable. Daniel Medvedev was in the best form or some of the best form of his career. He demolished Novak in Dubai. It was off the back of three straight titles and on a 20-match winning streak, Joel. And Carlos wiped the floor with him. And it's safe to say now that Carlitos is, has surpassed them all. Of course, well, he's been to number one, but he's, he's the guy now. He's, he is it. It's him and Novak. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And um, look, I mean, we, we were blessed because, um, you know, the great thing about um, Indian Wells and Miami and, of course, the US Open later down the track is um, they're in a, a fantastic uh, time zone for, for us. It's very friendly, particularly if we're working from home. Gosh, I hope my employer aren't listening to this. Um, <laughs> but I've uh, got, got, some, got some great opportunities to, to watch Carlos, especially uh, late in the tournament. And it was fantastic because, of course, we... We didn't get to, to watch him in full flight at the Australian Open, or matter of fact, at all, um, which was a real shame. But I got to watch his match against uh, Felix and also against uh, Daniil in, in, in the final. And my God, he's good. And look, it's not to say that I didn't trust him already as, uh, as an elite tennis player, um, as a top player. But having watched Carlos in Indian Wells, um, my level of trust in him just to get the job done when it counts against the big players went up an infinite amount. And I distinctively remember um, in that match against Felix, um, a just a fantastically constructed point where he was defending for his life. Felix didn't do anything wrong in this particular point. He had a one for, for all measure. And, yeah. and Carlos just, just kept surviving. 
And in the end, he managed to get into the net and 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 finish Felix off from there. He, he turned he turned defense into offense in an almost Novak like fashion. And you know that's 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 saying something, given that Novak is probably the best at doing that that we've ever seen. Um, so look, now that Carlos is fit, um, he's he's only going to improve. Uh, he's only going to improve from here. He's still a teenager, as we know. Um, it's just it's scary what this guy is going to be able to do. That's really all we can say. Well, you're right, and it is frightening for the rest of the tour because, and you talk about the trust level with Carlos. You look at him, and he's not dropped a set as a 19-year-old at Indian Wells. That is massive. It's often considered the fifth major. You have to win a lot of matches to get the job done and to take home the crown. And then you see guys like Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas. These have been the three guys chasing at the tail of the big three for a very long time. And for for more than five years now, Zverev won his first Masters 1000 in 2017, while Medvedev and Tsitsipas came into the four or into the foray of, or forayed into the top five in 2019. But you look at what Carlos has done. He's won the slam. He's won three Masters 1000 titles now. And he continues to get better and better and better. And Zverev, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas are the only three guys since 2004 to have dropped Grand Slam finals from two sets up. And this is the difference now. I feel like Carlos, in the clinches, in those big moments, in the high-pressure situations, he's the man that's going to get the job done. And we saw that at the US Open last year when he won back-to-back-to-back five-set matches. And then here, you thought, oh, Yannick Sinner's going to give him trouble. We remember that US Open quarterfinal. Carlos was down a break, saved a set point in the first set, but he handled it with ease. And yep. I just, I, I feel as though he is the man. And uh, the match that we got between him and Novak in Madrid last year was something special. But if we get it again this year with Novak playing the way that he is, this is going to be one of the greatest matches of all time, I feel. Even if it's on clay, it doesn't matter what surface it's on. Maybe grass might be the only time where Novak might be able to undo Carlos. But I, I feel as though Alcaraz is ready. He's so ready to take the mantle for himself. I think so. And I think this will be, if that happens, if Carlos versus Novak happens this year in a slam final, and if Carlos can win, I mean, that'll be the, that'll be the ultimate test for him. I mean, that's no disrespect to any of the players that he has conquered so far, not to Daniel Medvedev or to Felix or whoever, but if he can, if he can knock over Novak in a slam final, then I think that's the real baton pass that, that we're looking for. Um, because there's no doubt in my mind, Val, that that Novak at that level is still the absolute pinnacle, the bar to to get over. Yeah, and it is, because you have to beat Novak over five, and it's so incredibly difficult to do. do. And you think about the players that did it last year. Rafa and... and, and Not only the players that did do it, but the players that haven't done it or haven't been able to do it. Well, exactly right, because Zverev hasn't beaten Novak at a slam. Tsitsipas hasn't beaten Novak at a slam. And you look at the guys that did it last year, it was, well, it was Rafa. That's it. Because Novak won Wimbledon. He didn't play the Australian or the the US. And it was Rafa at Roland Garros, the only time where you'd be like, oh, Novak's probably going to lose this. And that's all it took. And the year before that, it was a supreme performance from Daniel Medvedev. 
the year before that, Djokovic defaulted himself from uh, from the US Open, where he probably would have romped home. And then Rafa again at Roland Garros. So in the last, since 2020, Pablo Carreño boosted by default. Daniel Medvedev once and Rafael Nadal twice are the only guys that have beaten Novak Djokovic in a slam. Carlos, that's the biggest test for him now yep. is to look at this and go, I want to beat Novak. And if I can beat Novak, then I'm well and truly ready. But I think he is anyway. And, and Novak's not going to be around forever. And you look at what Carlos is putting together and what he has put together already. It's simply stunning. He's come back from an injury. He almost won Rio with an injury. It's it's just mind yeah. mind bogglingly mind bogglingly good. That's a word. <laughs> yes. So when okay. So when when do you think we're likely to see it? Do you think U.S. Open or the French? As soon as the French. I think it's going to be Roland Garros. I, I, I'm not sure. It, it all depends, really, what or how Rafa feels, because it looks highly likely. And we'll talk about Rafa in a sec because a long streak of his is now over. But you look at what Carlos has put together. You look at what Novak has put together on clay. You feel as though these two are the guys that are that are on the collision course. But then again, last year we weren't sure who was going to win that Novak and and Rafa match, and it would be also fitting to get that in a final, but the, with Rafa's ranking, he could be up against a Carlos or a Novak in the fourth round. Mm. So yeah. I, I think it could happen at the French. Things, obviously, you're counting Rafa out, and you, you just can't do that because if he's anywhere near remotely fit, he's winning. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've got to start with him as yeah. winner. Sure. Exactly. So Rafa, yeah, all dependent on Rafa. This happens at the French. If Rafa doesn't play, then 100% it does. Wimbledon, probably not, because I feel as though Alcaraz still has a little bit of development left to do on the grass. But then you've got the US Open. I'm assuming Novak will be allowed to play by then. Um, I think they're relaxing the rules in May in America, so I'm not too sure. But yeah, I'm. I hope this does happen. I really hope it does because, and look, it's going to happen at a Masters event sooner rather than later. Hopefully we get it in in Rome because that could be the precursor to Roland Garros with similar conditions. So, yeah, I'm I'm all in on this and I'm all in on Carlos, you know, bringing something else here and and possibly dethroning the dynamic duo as it is now and and possibly Novak is probably the only real threat left outside of the French Open of the big three. Roger's gone and Rafa's injury problems are curtailing him. Yep, I think that's absolutely fair. Nothing really more to add there. Um, yeah, he's pretty much gone past everyone. And yeah, I mean, now the onus is, uh, well, I mean, if it wasn't already, it's well and truly on on the other the other men on the on the tour to, to catch him. Um, Daniil Zverev, Berrettini, Felix, Spritz, the list goes on. Well, I look at these guys and I don't think Kaspar, he's not the guy to do it. Tsitsipas has had a lot of chances already. He's only 24, though, so we can't really... We can't rule him out just yet, but I, I don't know. I'm very worried about what Steph is is putting together. I, I'm not sure. You know, he's fresh off the slam final, and then he lost to Jordan Thompson. That's... Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Tomo, but... <laughs> yeah. I, no, Steph shouldn't be losing those matches. Daniil, no. I think, still has another slam or two left in him. I think he's 
more than good enough. These courts, um, he said during the week that he has a toxic relationship with them because they're so slow. But then again, he made the final and he's in really I good form. Was that, uh, was that um, speech? <laughs> he's, he's the gift that keeps on giving. So Medvedev, you can't rule out. And I think the way that he's played over the last two months has, uh, I think he's, he's earned that. Zverev is the one now. He pushed Daniel to the brink in the fourth round of Indian Wells, had so many chances to win it himself. I think he's back personally. And I reckon he's a real chance to just creep back up the rankings. And by Roland Garros time, I think he'll be ready and primed to possibly contend for that major Grand Slam. And I think another one, Sinner and Norrie are probably two others that I think are, are good enough this year to really push. Yannick Sinner, you know, he's he's just bullying his way through and he's getting there. But what are your thoughts on him and, and how his week panned out? It was a great great effort to get to the semifinals, but where where does he go from here? Yeah, I think, look, I think he's getting there. I think Yannick's getting there. Um, and, I mean, the, the fact that he's got Darren Cahill on board, I think was a, a fantastic move by, by him. Um, and, I mean, you can, already, you can already see he's just continuing to make steady tracks. But I think he's still just, just, just a rung lower than, than the absolute top echelon. He's getting there. And I feel like maybe, maybe a year or two away from, from really making that, that proper breakthrough. And um, I mean, I think we talk about it a lot with him, um, but I, I feel like it's still just the same factor and that's just the way that he's built. He's, yeah. he's still sort of so kind of raw and, and a bit lanky. And, um, you know, it's not that it really holds him back the way that he's going, but I guess it's maybe just that just that bit of strength um, uh, going around the court. Um, but yeah, he's not far off. He's not far off, and I'll maybe give it another sort of twelve to twenty-four months, and then could see could see Yannick Sinner making making some slam finals and certainly some one thousand finals as well. Yeah, I think so as well. And um, you were very close with your tip about Francis Tiafo got to the semifinals, but Daniel Medvedev was yeah. just too good at the end for the young American. And yeah, I, I do agree with you in in terms of Sinner. I think that the you know. He'll get the power, he'll get the strength, and he'll continue to push. One more thing before we get um, we get to the big issue or one of the big issues of the week or the last 18 years. What did you make of the Holger Rune-Stan Vavrinka situation? Now, oh, we, we remember back to Paris in November, the event that Rune won, yeah. and Stan called him a baby on court after Stan lost, which... Didn't really, um, didn't really go down too well with Holger Rune's camp and and a lot of tennis fans around the world and and myself included. You probably don't need to call someone a baby after you lose. You know, comes across as a little bit petulant. Holger Rune returned the favour in at Indian Wells and it was an epic match. And Holger came back from a set down, forced it to a third, just couldn't get the job done. And at the handshake, he said, "Oh, you've got nothing to say to me now." And Vavrinka says, "Well, what do you want me to say?" So a little bit of spice. I don't mind it too much, and it's something different. But what were your take? What was your take on it? Uh, yeah, well, when you say returning the favor, it was it was very much returning the favor um, in in the sense that yeah, both. I mean, both um, both comments were extremely petulant, and uh, yeah, Holger really didn't need to say what he said. It was it was very unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but look. I kind of hope that I kind of hope that it's something that he looks back on and thinks, "Geez, why did I say that?" Um, because he, he really did not need to say that. Um, so I hope it's a learning experience for him. 
Um, and yeah, that's 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 really it that uh, that I have to say on it. But yeah, it certainly won't be his finest moment, and it was it was definitely something we could have done without. Yeah, I think so. And look, Holger's Holger's nineteen. He's got a lot of learning to do, and you know Roger Federer wasn't great at that age either. Roger was, and it's very well documented what he was like as a teenager. So I think Holger will will um will adjust and he'll be okay. And a few players came to the defence of of the Dane, and Nick Kyrgios was one of those. And obviously we know his feelings on Stan Vavrinka back in uh, 2015. He made them loud and clear. So um yeah, it's it's interesting, and I hope they play again soon because I'm very interested to see the results and and the embrace at the end of the match. But Joel, what were you doing on April 18, 2005? April 18, 2005. Yeah, what were you up to? Nine-year-old Joel, what was he doing? He was probably learning his 12 times tables, I reckon. Mm, yeah. Probably probably sitting at school doing some work, just, you know, doing, doing the old times tables, learning the basics. Yep. Yeah. What about you, mate? Uh, no, I was in I was in year four. You know, life was life was good. Roger Federer was world number one. Things were things were simple. Things were very simple. Richmond were terrible in the AFL, and you know, it was normal proceedings back then. But Rafa wasn't in the top ten. And the week after the twenty fifth or Anzac Day two thousand and five, Rafa made the venture in for the first time. It's been uh, over nine hundred weeks. But Rafa is finally out of the top 10. And not finally, it's actually quite devastating because it's felt so normal for so many years. But without being able to defend his runner-up points at Indian Wales last year or the Australian Open, Rafa finds himself at world number 13. How bizarre is that to have two numbers next to his ranking? Yeah, it's it's very strange. It's very strange. Um, and yeah, I mean, 18 years. So, well, nearly 18 years anyway. Um well, yeah, it's again, it's another watershed moment for the mm. ATP in the last couple of years. There's been a few of them, um, and it's yeah, it's it's pretty sad that um, really the the era that we grew up with Val is nearly gone. Yeah, like I mean, Rapper's rap is really one of the last men standing. Like I'm not even sure I would include Novak in that because no, he's I mean, he, he's he, not. He he, he he kind of came along maybe like oh seven oh eight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, Roger Federer is gone. Um, I won't mention that too much to make you cry. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Rafa, um, all they're all gone. So it's yeah, you look at it and it's like wow, they're you know things are changing. They certainly are. And would you like to know the top ten? The last time Rafa wasn't in there. Let's hear it. So Federer won, of course. Leighton Hewitt at two after the Australian Open final. So Hewitt was 24 at the time, Federer 23. This is how long it's been. Marit Safin at three, Andy Roddick at four, Guillermo Correa at five, Tim Henman yeah. six, Carlos Moya seven, Rafa's current coach, uh, Gaston <laughs> Gaudio eight, David Nalbandian nine, and Andre Agassi 10. Agassi was 34 at the time. He's 52 now. Jeez. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. So, Rafael Nadal, um, yeah, what, what a stint it's been, 912 weeks. And commendations to you, fingers crossed, we can see him back in there because um, tennis would not be the same without Rafa. And we've already lost Roger, as you said. So, hopefully, we do get Rafa back um, back and firing at full fitness. Can he get 23? 
Who knows? The French Open beckons for him, but we'll see when May comes around. We've still got plenty to get through, Joel. We are going to talk about the women's side uh, of the draw at Indian Wells, and we're also going to award the Benoit of the Week because we completely forgot to do that last week. So we'll, uh, we'll come back bigger and better than ever after this on Breakpoint. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you and talking all things Indian Wells and the and the desert. We'll get to a little bit of Miami later and talk about the pos- the draws and, and you know possible findings from it. But um, Alina Rybakina, Joel. What a wonderful, wonderful bounce back from what was. Yeah. And uh, she handled it really well at Melbourne Park, but it was an agonizing loss in the final of the Australian Open to Arena Sabalenka because she was all over the Belarusian in the first set. The Belarusian found her range and found her ground strokes in the second in the second and came back, got the break early in the third, was troubled, but held on and got and got herself over the line. Here, she flipped the, the script completely. And the most impressive part of this tournament wasn't the fact that, you know, a 7-6-6-4 win in the final, 13-11 in the tiebreaker. She smacked Iga Sviantec yet again. Yeah, yet again. And, uh, I mean, even though Iga, by her own admission, was sort of a little bit under the weather, I think she had the, the stomach injury. Um, but it's, it's becoming clearer what the kryptonite is there. Um, and that is... That's the power hitting, and that's what Elena Rabakina brings to the court. And yeah, really nice to see her get this title, um, and really cool as well to see a rematch of the Australian Open final, um, albeit with uh, with with the different results. And um, you know, both both women, um, Elena and also Arena Sabalenka, still sort of uh, sort of fairly young. So who knows? That could potentially become um, a rivalry that that really blossoms. And Elena is up to number seven in the world now on the WTA yep. tour. And I think that's really where she belongs, if, if not higher. Um, the, the sky's really the limit for her, um, not least because she's very tall. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I can only see that ranking improving from here. I, I can't really see her taking too many steps back now that she's in the top ten. Yeah, pure ball striking, elite movement, great to watch. Um, and, and a great character as well. I love the speech and the exchange between the two at the end of the final. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that could be the kryptonite for Sviantec. And the power hitting and not allowing her to move someone around the court. If you can get first strike, and it was kind of the same with Serena. If, you know, well, Serena wasn't as good a mover as what Sviantec is. But, um, you know, you just if you can get that first strike, make sure she can't dictate things you'll be okay. And Rybakina did it to perfection. And 6-2-6-2, I think, speaks for itself. And great character. Yep. And I think I think the way that the way that she performed to get through, she had a really tough win in the quarters against um, Karolina Mukova. Um, and, but other than that, she didn't drop a set. So to drop one set and your wins include um, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Mukova, um, who else did she knock off here? Grasheva, Badosa, six three seven five. She beat Badosa. Sophia Kennan, she beat seven six seven six. So these are good players. These are players that have been to the top end of the mountain, and she's demolished most of them, which is so mightily impressive. So brilliant win from her. Good backup, I think, from Marina Sabalenka. I was really impressed 
to see her get through to the final. I think we both predicted that last time out. I think I might have had her to win, um, but she didn't quite get the job done, which is a bit disappointing. But um, actually, no, I think we both said Sviontek. I think I said Sabalenka would make the final, but no, yeah, it was too, it was stupid to go against Ego, surely. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a bit, it's, her at the moment on the WTA is almost a bit bit like, a bit like Novak without Carlos around. It's really hard to go against, against him. (laughs) Yeah, 100% it is. And, um, and you look at Ego, unfortunately, she's out of Miami this week, which is a bit disappointing. I was looking forward to seeing her on the faster court. Um, and she she won the Sunshine Double last year, of course. So a bit disappointing, but um, yeah, the rib injury. Uh, she'll also miss the Billie Jean King Cup next month as well. So disappointing for Iga, and who also signed a new deal. Her and Ben Shelton have both signed with On Running, the Swiss manufacturer of uh, sports products. Co or Roger Federer does have a stake in it, and he's been promoting those two all week. So Roger, of course, has his casual line, the Roger. He's either got those in, you know, all white, couple of colors, high tops, plus the tennis shoes, the Roger Pro. And now they're venturing into player sponsorship and kidding out players. So Ish Fiontech was supposed to be launched in Miami. Doesn't get that. But Ben Shelton does, which I find really interesting that they're going with these two. And two, one is already there, but one is an up-and-comer. And it's kind of like when Babalat picked a couple of players early on and they chose Rafa and Andy Roddick. And those two just soared, so I think this is a brilliant, uh, a brilliant coup from on. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I mean, obviously, you know, this they know what they're getting with with Eager, but geez, what a coup for Ben Shelton! I mean, you know, so so soon after he's really broken onto the scene on the men's tour, um, amazing for him to be to be picked up by a fledgling brand like that with. Uh, with the backing of of someone like Roger, and yeah, I mean, if any, um, if if Babalat's record is anything to go by as a point of comparison, then uh, yeah, um, destined for big things. We already know that Eve is achieving big things, um, and yeah, just quietly Babalat's. Oh, it's your drive. What a fantastic bracket! <laughs> we'll get you that free Babalat. Don't worry, Joel. We'll get it. We'll get it for you. Um, and, and some of these other matches throughout the week, uh, Karolina Pliskova doing so well to get herself through to the fourth round. Maria Sakari, another semi-final in Indian Wells, so she continues to perform in the desert. But the one match I think for me, Petra Kvitova and Jessica Pagula, seven six in oh. the third to Kvitova, thirteen eleven in that tiebreak. Soared, it dipped, it ebbed, it flowed in every single way, and the narrative I think for Kvitova to come over the top of an informed Pagula, just so so mightily impressive to get that win. You know, Val, I heard a rumor that um, both Jesse Pagula and, and Petra Kvitova were uh, were spotted at a hospital um, after the match, um, and they were both carrying flowers, and um, in the hospital bed was a tennis ball. <laughs> Because the tennis ball was just dead after that match, because it was getting hit so hard. Uh, I understand why it was in why it was in hospital. <laughs> yeah, bad day to be a tennis ball, one hundred percent. And yeah, I think um, yeah, it was it it had everything, and the reaction at the end of it, I think, showed what it meant to Kvitova to get the win because she's had a lot of hard luck throughout her career, and it has been disappointing, but um, yeah, I'm so impressed with what she was able to put together in the desert. And I think Serana Costea to get through to the quarterfinals is, it's a great result for her considering she, her ranking is sort of, 
had had a roller coaster trajectory. It's gone up, then it's gone down, then it's gone up, and then it's gone down again. Um, and Coco Goff as well getting to the quarterfinals, continuing her consistent performances throughout this year. But now looking at Miami, um, Bianca Andreescu as well. She played Emma Raducanu, got the job done, and and won this morning. But yeah, I'm I'm really perplexed as to who might. Who might win in Miami? Because the courts are a lot faster. Does this favor Sabalenka or does this favor Rubakina? If you were to have the two playing off again, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, before, yeah, I mean, I would have said both, um, but yeah, it's it's a really tough one. It's a really really tough one. Um, honestly, don't know what to tell you, Val. I think it's a bit of a flip of the coin. If if they were to come up against each other again, I mean. Um, very sort of similar games. Um, I think maybe maybe Arena because um, I sort of I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen her get into the net as much as maybe um, I've seen uh, Alina get in. Um, so I might say yeah, I might say Arena just uh, from the baseline. Yeah, I, I think so. And the faster courts will probably help her. A little bit looking at the draw. I'm pretty sure they are actually on opposite sides of it. I'm just going through. Yes, so Rabakin has actually been lucky enough that she'll be... She's in the same quarter that Iga was supposed to be in. Maybe that's why Iga pulled out. Who knows? Um, but Rabakina versus Badosa, again, possibly for the third round. And then if you're Martina Trevisan, who was scheduled to play Sviantec in the third round, um, you're, oh. kind of, uh, you're kind of... You know, blowing a sigh of relief, but yeah, yeah, really interesting to see how Miami goes because again, the the draws are so open in the women's side, and yeah, it's I'm so excited to see what happens at uh, at Hard Rock Stadium. And if you had to pick a winner on the men's show, is it Carlos to defend his title? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm um, I'm not so sure. I mean, based on on form, um, you would you would have to you would have to say so. Um, I mean. Yeah, Carlos, undisputably, obviously won the tournament, so best player there. Um, and yeah, Daniil would have something to say about that too um, after the the long winning streak that he had. Um, I guess with with Carlos, I'm just um, wondering about fatigue potentially if there's yeah. any there. Um, but I mean, no doubt at the point of his career that he is at, um, having you know risen up the ranks so quickly, he's got a good team around him. Um, you would have to assume that that would be less of a problem. Um, so yeah, now look, I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of an open one so far. I'm, I'm not going to, not going to commit to Carlos, but I still think he's the, he's probably the one to beat overall. Yeah, I think so as well. And look, I'm, I'm going for a Carlos Medvedev final again. I think they're both on the other side. They're both on different sides of the draw. I think Medvedev. That would be cool though. Yeah. Well, the sunshine double at 19, that's, Unheard of. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. So and Miami as well. Yeah, exactly. And and that'd be a fourth Masters one thousand for Carlos before the age of twenty. That's that's bonkers. That's what that is. Yeah. And speaking of bonkers, a man Benoit Pair, he's a bonkers human being. Nah. He's crazy. We love him. We love him. He's got be normal on his shirt. He's nothing like normal. Um, but we love Benoit. And who is our Benoit of the week this week, Joel? I might let you award this one, Val, because hey. we were chatting about it off air and we were pondering who can we give it to? And, uh, well, we eventually set it, settled on a local. 
Yeah, we did. The uh, the young Aussie, uh, 24 years of age, Max Purcell. He's on a 17-match winning streak on the ATP Challenger Tour. He's won three titles across India, um, three straight. And then also he's in Spain at the moment and he's gone through to the quarterfinals. His first match uh, over um, Andres Anaboldi of Italy, 7-6 in the 30, got that done, got the second round done as well, 7-5-6-1, and he's into the quarters. So it's on a hard court in Spain. Can he go for four in a row? It would be absolutely remarkable if he did. And he's in the top 100 for the first time in his career, which is so well-deserved. The Australians are most certainly coming up the rankings. And fingers crossed we can see Purcell a lot closer to the top 50 towards the end of the season because at the current uh, the current race to Turin, he's 29. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. It really is. is. And also, um, talking of that, Val, um, another player that, that needs a shout-out, um, not necessarily um, a local, um, Nuno Borges. Yeah. He, in the race, 22nd. He's on a great run at the moment. Um Won the won the challenger in, in Phoenix, Arizona, which um interestingly enough, Matteo Berrettini was in that. Yeah. Um that was really good. But no, nevertheless, um, yeah, a bit of a shout out to Nuno Borges, because if you look at the race and um the company that he's in, um he he's probably uh he's probably maybe other than say someone like Nicholas Jarry, who's at nineteen, he's probably the one that really stands out in in the top twenty five as kind of not really being a household name. Yeah, Nicholas Jarry, unfortunately, uh, plagued by injuries. But yeah, Nuno Borges having some sort of a season. You're right. That Phoenix, that Phoenix field was stacked with and yeah. littered with talent. So yeah, for him to come over the top of everybody and um, and get through, I think he's into the second round of Miami as well. So he's playing some ripping tennis. Joel, thank you very much for your efforts tonight. That about wraps us up. And yeah, looking forward to talking Miami over the coming weeks. Yep, sounds good, mate. Let's keep it sunny. Yep, we sure will. It's always sunny in Miami, I'm sure. The weather's uh, the weather always seems warm in Florida. I'd love to get down there one day to Hard Rock Stadium. Joel Frucci and Val Febo joining you on Breakpoint Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, then Instagram and Facebook as well. We are there. You can subscribe on Google, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Breakpoint is there and it and you will be able to find us. So plenty more still to come from the Sunshine Double. Looking forward to seeing what happens at Hard Rock Stadium in the south of Florida.